0: hello everyone shannon tipton here owner of learning rebels where we strategically fix training that's broken and develop workplace learning that delivers desired business results today we hosted a learning rebels live interview with hadia nuridin It's very meta to listen to the story of L&D's favorite storyteller and the author of Story Training. I had always been curious as to what path took Kadea in the direction of writing a book about storytelling and its overall importance to the toolbox that L&D carries with them. And just when I think that I can predict someone's journey Well, let's just say I was way off. Hadia's journey is one of self-discovery and, well, let's let her tell it, shall we? And on that note, let's not waste any more time. Let's get to it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another Learning Rebels Live, where we take L&D professionals and discover their journeys it's always interesting to find out how people got there from here or got here to there, right? When it comes to learning and development. And today I have with me Hadia Nuradin. And I am really excited because what we have here, people, is that we have the storyteller telling her story. And that's so very meta, isn't it? And, um, Hadia and I have crossed paths many times, you know, and I don't think that I've ever had a time to really sit down and learn more about what your journey was like. And Hadia also has a book out, and we're going to be putting that link below so you can uh, get access to her book. And she is also the founder of Duets Learning, you know, a learning consultancy out there as well. But I'm going to turn this over to Hadia and let her give you the full lowdown on who she is and where she's at, what she's doing. All right,
1: wonderful. Thank you, Shannon. I'm um, lovely to be here. Um, so, as mentioned, my name is Hadia Nuradin, and I am a learning strategist, instructional designer, e-learning developer. Have been so for over 20 years now, and I work with my company, Duets Learning. Um, where we are full service from beginning to end shop. A few years ago, I got um, interested in storytelling. And so I wrote the book about it. But even before then, I was incorporating story design in a lot of my courses. I have a master's in education. I also have a master's in writing. So that's where that came from. And there are just so many parallels. I would say the master's in writing, I don't know if it made me a better writer, but it made me a better instructional designer. Because I think that, It forced me to remember that I'm supposed to be, in some way, seeing the world through the eyes of others, just like you will in writing. And that reminded me of my purpose when uh, I designed. I think it improved my skills greatly in that regard. So it just seemed like a natural fit to talk about storytelling. My other interest that um, I have a book coming out soon is about quality management, which is a big big departure from storytelling. It is as, isn't it? Yeah, I know it is. But as I began to write it and learn more about quality management, I almost feel like it's the story of L and D. It's the story of what you are. You know, at first I thought more about it as the perfect checklist and I realized that's nothing. That's not not even close. To how quality management works, and that it is what you stand for as a team, as an individual. It is the cross you die on, it is what you believe in, and is the value that you offer to organizations. So it's much bigger than I anticipated. And the book is about you discovering what that is for whether you have just a team of one or a multi level national corporation. And so that book's coming out next summer. I'm in copy editing okay. phase now. So yeah, I'm excited about that.
0: I'm excited about that too. I mean, you wrapped up, you've told a great story about your new book. I love it because I'm with you. That is definitely not the uh, description that I would have put behind quality management. And when you say, this is what you stand for, you know, that's really, it's, that's so true now that I think about it like that, right? But it's so true. So now I'm really excited.
1: Yeah, it's more than accuracy. It's more than, it's how do we define the learning experience and what do we do to ensure that happens? Because we always, we give a lot of lip service to uh, how training should look and where we have put the policies in place and the formats in place and the framework in place to ensure that happens. And that's what this book is about
0: that's tremendous. I am really looking forward to that. And we'll have to have you back on when it comes out so you can tell us more about it, you know, cause I am already intrigued, but I'd like to back up a little bit and talk about your master's in writing. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. You know, so how did you decide that was the journey you wanted to take when it came to getting your master's? So
1: it sort of goes back to, the story of of how I got here. So I wanted to be an actress when I was a kid. That was my secret dream. I never told anyone that, that I wanted to be one because where I was from, there were no school plays. There was no drama club. There was none of that. So it was just me in a dream, but I never told anyone that. But it was sort of assumed that, I sort of settled for maybe I'll be a writer <laughs> because everything was so simple that, <laughs> okay. uh, you know, I'll just fill on an application to be a world famous writer and then I'll be done. Just settle Why for not? that. Um, you know, it's being rich is does. rich. I mean, what difference does it make? Um, so <laughs> so um, I think I sort of settled for that. And so in, in support of this dream, I moved to Chicago as part of that. Then I was like, yeah, I don't want to do all that audition stuff. And, you know, you get I got wrapped into the whirlwind of my career and things I was doing and got a master's in education and all of that and just got off that path. And then probably around 2013, it, it was always in the back of my mind that there was a master's at DePaul University in writing. And so I've always sort of had my eye on it. And so it kind of goes back to one day I want to do what I came here for. You know, one day I want to accomplish that goal. I moved here not to work in a job I could have had in Michigan. I moved here to either go to like Columbia College or to become actor or something, something creative. And so when I had the time and the finances, I said, I'm going to, I'm going to do it. I'm going to get this additional master's. And yeah, that was, it was funny because the only people, I shouldn't say this was generalizing, but it is true that the majority of people who get a master's in writing just left campus in undergrad i mean they still have on their pajamas from finals night i mean they're young and here i am you know middle age in this class and they all have issues with their mothers so i'm like dude i know that's similar to your mother it always is it's always your mother that's the problem so there's a lot of issues going on there so i kind of didn't like it and actually left the program but then i started to fall back in love with instructional design. Cause that was part of why I didn't do it. I was, sort of got into it too. And I made the connection, the click, oh, I like instructional design better because I'm a better writer. And I'm a better writer probably because I took the time to focus on writing in this master's program. So I reapplied to get into it. And so decided I'm going to finish this degree. I'm going to go through the whole experience and with a different vision, and what I initially planned So I wasn't bothered so much with the people with the hangups with their mothers and was really <laughs> sort of focused on what I wanted to accomplish and how I could improve my practice through writing.
0: I can kind of see you in that classroom environment as the guru. We're all going to go to the wise one. Well, I remember one one woman said, I heard that when you turn
1: 40, she probably was like 28 or something, I heard when you turn 40, you have all the confidence in the world and there's no problems anymore. And you know, I was like, what? Don't you? Bless your heart. And the age, you know, <laughs> the age was the thing that, you know, like, well, you know, I want you to hold on to that because I want you to be optimistic about the future. I want you to be optimistic about turning 40. So I'm going to not disabuse you of that idea.
0: <laughs> right. And so where did your instructional design path begin?
1: You know, I'd like to say for college, I, I was not prepared. I'd like to say I was dropped off of college instead of going to college, I was just dropped off. And I had no inclination of what to do. So I ultimately ended up as an English major and I kind of maybe education, but I didn't know. I graduated before I figured out what was going on. And so I had no idea what to do with it. And now I covet my English degree and I'm so glad I got it, but that took, it was a long journey for me to appreciate the English degree. So back then I was just really mad, <laughs> just really angry that I had got this degree that was perfectly useless in my mind. Um, so I didn't know what to do. So I just started applying for customer service jobs. just why not? I didn't know what else to do. And so one time um, I applied for a customer service job. And when I got there, they said, we're going to put you in technical support. Why would you do that? Like, I don't know what you're saying and why? I've never, why would you do it to them? You know, I had some technical experience because I worked at Kinko's for years and, you know, jamming a copier is no joke. And also too, we were open 24 hours and people would be like, Oh, the computer went down and I don't know what to do. I'm like, I don't either. You know, I mean, at the, the Why are you asking was, me? I just wear the shirt. <laughs> the best that could happen would be that the printer went down and I'm just like, you need to go to another Kinko's. I don't to tell you. The worst that you would happen. You to go to another that, Kinko's. <laughs> yeah, their floppy disk. Remember this floppy disk? And that oh my metal gosh, thing. Yes. They would jam it in and then it would come out broken and I would be like, oh, so I had to be on the phone with tech support. So I had a little bit of tech I had, a, I had practiced supporting people through technology trauma. So I took this job and it was supporting a product. And what I found from supporting a product in that job to thinking that all tech support is the same. So I left and started actually doing actual tech support. I think I was hired as a joke, to be honest, but I went over to this job I think they were trying to get back at this one team, and so they hired me to do it, And oh. you know, but the internet was in its infancy, and the joke was on them because I actually learned how to do tech support, and um, because most of it was teaching, there was this department, it was Northwestern University, and there was the Allen Center, which is where executive education happens, and so you had a lot of people there who were very afraid of their computers, and so my job really was just like, calm down, okay, just, it's not on. That's why it's a black screen. It's not on. So most of my job was training people (laughs) how not to go into cardiac arrest because there's a black screen. I know. It's like, I don't know. It's just on. I sort of realized, first of all, tech support was a burnout job. You know, no one's coming to you with good news. And if they are, it's a trap. You know, it's like, yeah, my computer's working so well. I'm like, okay, bye. Like, my printer is. I'm like, see, this is why I can't exist in this space any longer. So I decided, you know, I like to say, I don't think I was getting first out enough. So I became a trainer. I was really training, you know. And so I said, you know what? I think the next job is going to be in training. And so I got hired as a technical trainer. And in that company, we did everything from, you know, needs assessment all the way to delivery. And so it was great, it gave me an opportunity to explore the whole spectrum. And I remember my manager calling me to the office one day and said, You need to specialize in something. You need to specialize. And I said, Which part of it makes workbooks? Because for some reason, that's my jam. And she said, I don't think that's instructional design. I said, Then hello, I'm Hadiya, the instructional designer. And the rest is history.
0: Wow. You just never know, right? What twist and turn is going to take you there. It's listening to the universe and what it's trying to tell you.
1: And I think what's interesting about it is, even though I, I wanted to be an actress, and maybe one day I'll be cast, you know, in my 60s as mama or something.
0: And... <laughs> <laughs> you never know. Chicago's a rich town. I
1: know, exactly. But, you know, I don't feel unfulfilled because... Facilitating this performance. I mean, let's be real. There's a performance element to it. And especially speaking in conferences, there's a performance element for it. And the writing part I mean, this is a writing job, instructional design. There's so much writing involved. So I feel like this was the perfect collision of all of the skills that I have, you know, from throughout my life that I pursued. And they all sort of landed right here. So appreciate it.
0: That's really interesting. You know, because I have thought about, you know, instructional design certainly partners with technical writing. That's the logical partner to instructional design. But I really hadn't put it into the art of writing a story, even though in my own instructional design workshops, I tell people that this is the story of instructional design. It's the story of dot, dot, dot. You know, then you can connect it but I really never put it into that sort of creative art.
1: Yeah. I mean, a class is a story.
0: You know, like every
1: right. time I design a course, I'm looking for a narrative thing that goes through it. And I feel like as I build a course, I am unpacking this journey of the learner and how they're going to be exposed to certain pieces of information and, and, How do I want them to feel and respond as they see it? How do I want, do I want them to come to this conclusion on their own? Do I want to help them come to the, I mean, that is a narrative, you know, that's the story of of life. So I can't say that I I even explored that before this, but as I started writing stories and people like, how do you incorporate story? I'm like, it is a story, you know, it's already there. The question is, there's always a story, always, always a story. The question is, do you have time to unpack it? Is your subject matter experts the people are the keeper of the stories? Are you able to get access to them and how do you walk them through what those narratives could be? But it's there. The question is, how do you unpack it?
0: I love that because it's so true. It's so true. And you think about whoever the end user is, whether it's that person who is you know trying to force fit you know a floppy disk into the system, you know, or you know, a new customer service rep, right? What's their hero journey, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where are they now? And, you know, a hero's journey is long. I've come up with ways. Other people come up with ways to shorten it. I use the story spine to shorten it, but I would shorten it even further and just say the question really is, is where are they now? What's the turning point? What's the pivot that changed everything where did they land, and what did they learn from, and to take them forward, right? So there's really almost four major steps that they go through. What is that, and and it all harps on that change, especially in learning and development. I mean, we tell stories of transformation as a very specific type of story, where things you know things change. And we take that knowledge with us into the future. So what is that change, and what can be learned from it? And so I sort of walk through that not just in in my classes, but when I'm I'm working with people, when they are trying to figure out what their stories are, it's, um, you didn't wake up like this. This is a response to something else, These decisions that that you're making. And it didn't just happen. I think the challenge is that didn't just happen overnight. Tuesday, I feel this way. It was a gradual awakening to it. So it can be, what was the start of it? When was the point where you realized you couldn't return to how things were? And then we can go with that and then talk about how that led to something bigger, ultimately. But, yeah, you know, it's tough to recognize change. I think a lot of people not only not want to go through it, but they don't want to recognize <laughs> the changes that they've been through and the value or maybe harm
0: that it did. <laughs> exactly. And speaking of pivots, so in your journey, what was that moment that made you say, oh, okay yes, I've made the connection now between your being an English major and your love of acting and performing and putting that together. Where was the transformation? Where was the pivot for you that said, there has got to be a better way of doing this than the way that people are currently doing it? You know, was there something that happened? Was there like that aha moment that said, you know what, not this way, but this way? One thing that comes
1: to mind when I
0: think about changes and and
1: pivots in in my career.
0: You know, it's easy to
1: be frustrated with L&D and this career that we we are in. It's easy to just want to give up and feel like, you know, we're not valued and we aren't listened to. So what are we doing this for? And I remember um, years, years before I wrote the book, Years ago, um, I was talking to someone and having a sort of mentoring conversation. I probably wasn't in the right frame of mind to have that discussion because I'm sure someone had made me angry or some SME had done some work or something. And I just was feeling very frustrated. So when I sat down and talked with her, I was just like unloading about, you know, how we don't get, we're the cough center. So we don't get any respect. And she said, Well, is this all a lie? So what do you mean? She's like, what are we doing this for? What's the point? Oh, it never occurred to me, why am I doing this? What is the point? And it forced me to really step back and say, what is the value of L&D? What is my value? And I think that was the big pivot, rather than what does it mean to the organization? What does it mean to me? What's driving me? And even in that that moment, I said this to her, and that's since evolved in this sort of connect to stories when I think about Bob. So Bob is just a random person who I attach everything to and say, the organization is going to take me here, it's going to take me there, and it's going to make me think this way and value this. What I care about is Bob's journey because he is a manager, and I know that people manage how they're managed. So if I can help Bob become a better manager, Then that's gonna help Tasha, his direct report, be a better manager when she's a manager. And not only will they be happier in their jobs, but that will become a reflection of the pride they take in their career and at home and how they live their lives. And it's like the pebble, you know, the pebble in the water where you have those ripple effects. And I love the fact that not many people can say that in their jobs, that they have that ripple effect that they can actually help this person evolve. And then, yes, change performance and, and help contribute to the organization was just the ultimate goal. But my concern and my knowledge is that I know that Bob can't do that unless he is supported and prepared and can support people in that journey. And so seeing the journey of Bob is what sort of connected the idea between my purpose, instructional design, and story. Right, that narrative of taking him and taking him all the way through. So, um, when people get frustrated, I always say, Find your Bob. <laughs>
0: what? Find your Bob. <laughs> what is that thing? What would Bob that do? That thing that connects,
1: yeah, that connects you <laughs> to this. I like to say that I'm a, um, a learner advocate. And what to me, what that means, of course, is that I speak on behalf of the learner. And I think over the years, that has evolved because. As you have heard, as we've all heard, you need to speak the language of the business. You need to understand the business. And I get that, and we absolutely do. But Bob also has a language. The learner also has a need. And they also have a voice in this. And so I'm going to be the voice of that person, and you are going to be the voice of the company. All of us need to be present in that room. Both those voices need to be there. And so, yeah. And again, that those voices, I think about what is his journey? Where is he at? What does he need to be? And what does he need?
0: And that is a story. That is so powerful. The question there, is this all a lie? Oh my gosh. That even makes me sit back and go, I don't know. Is it? Are we faking our way through this? Right.
1: It goes back, back, back to, to quality. quality.
0: Yeah. What do we stand for? And what are we willing
1: to do to stand for it? What does standing for something look like?
0: And I love that that question was presented to you. I think that there's key moments in life where certain things happen that make you sit back. And I love that in this instance, it was, you know, one little small question that clearly has stuck with you that made you go, well, okay, this is what it's all about.
1: Yeah. Like I have to make some decisions here. Like, do I really want to live my life living what I think is a lie that we're not making any impact whatsoever or, you know, do I want to change my perspective and look at this differently?
0: Right. Now let me ask you about, so your book, what's the title of your book? It is called story training, story training. And how did you decide to write a book? Well, um, so it, to me, the the one
1: true thing in my life, I didn't know what else was going to happen, but I knew I was going to write a book one like I just knew. I didn't know what. I was going to write a book on.
0: You feel like there's a book inside of you that's Yeah, it's like, get out. you know, I just kind of felt like, you know, I wear
1: glasses. I'm supposed to write a book, you know. <laughs> like
0: what? one day I'm all of us glass-wearing people there's a book inside of you.
1: <laughs> you know, I need to honor that English major and that uh, that English degree and the writing degree somehow. But I didn't know on what and I tested a couple of ideas and then one day I'm on LinkedIn and um, actually what I did was I, I approached ATD about the process of writing a book. And because of the timing, I think it was in October, she's like, okay, well, if you, you get a book idea and a chapter to us in 30 days, I can't do that, but maybe I'll do it in the future. I, I don't know. So I waited, and then that summer, the following summer, someone had sent had forwarded a reposted a link, said that HDD is looking for people to write a book on storytelling.
0: And so I was like, oh, I can do that. There's the universe calling.
1: And, but I also thought that why? Because there's a million storytelling books out there. There's just no, absolutely positively, no reason for a storytelling book. But if you say so, sure. I'll just <laughs> see, see what these other books say. <laughs> And then, as I started, um, I went through the whole process. And actually, my first proposal was rejected. It was yeah, because I oh. wrote it in a way that I thought ATD would want it. You know, I was like the brainstem. You know, like I was just very mechanical and, you know, all that stuff. And I think the feedback was, you know, the, you wrote a ch- chapter on storytelling with no stories in it or something. So I was in the throes of my Hamilton addiction. And I was listening to every day, not throwing away my shot. So I don't think she, she thought I was going to rewrite the chapter, resubmit, but I did. And I just, you know, was at the end of that scene in Shaw Shanker's edition where he just throws everything on the table. I sort of did that, where I'm just like, "This is a story. This is the thing. I'm just going to throw it all in there." You know, and then they um, accepted the second version of it. So now I had to write a book, you know, because that first excitement,
0: right? Like, so now, so yeah, and then you're, you're like,
1: there. you know. And as I was doing research, looking for all these books that talked about what I thought had already been covered, I realized, oh, there really aren't, at the time, any books that talk about storytelling and learning, especially for corporate audiences. That does not exist. You know, I could not find it. There's some research here and some research there, but there were no books. And, and there were some books, of course, that were talking about adults in general. There's certainly books about children. But there's just not that many. They're most mostly just generalized storytelling about different industries and things and stuff, but not ours. So I was like, "Oh wow!" So I really am going to have to apply what I'm seeing from these other books and these other industries and apply it to what we do. And so that became, you know, you know quite another journey that I had not anticipated i was sort of building as the car was moving you know and doing the research as
0: i was building as sort the of car writing. is moving i love that my life feels like that idea that's my life i know there's no pulling over keep going hit the gas slow down maybe but keep going forward
1: that's how the book came to be and most of my thoughts i mean if you're sort of reading it. That's sort of real time you know so my thoughts were coming as I was reading it, you know, I have to say this is, you know, obnoxious, but, you know, every time I read part of it, I'm like, this is good.
0: like, I just, you know, like this is That's pride. That's not obnoxious.
1: And sometimes I think, you know, I don't want to contradict the book. So if I have um, something that I want to write or say, I think I'm going to make sure I didn't say opposite in the book with this new idea I came up with. And I opened the book. I'm like, wait, it's already in there. I'm like, is this book rewriting itself? <laughs> oh, I've had that thought
0: before. Okay. <laughs> you know? I'm like, oh, this is, I already said this. This is wild. Here I am thinking I had something fresh. And- <laughs> I know, exactly. It was already in the book. I'm like, I don't know how that happened,
1: but, you know, I'm very, very proud of it. It's been quite a journey. Learned so much more about storytelling after the book was written. So it's been an you know, honor to continue to talk about it and write about it and, and be about
0: it. That's fabulous. I'd like to know about the struggle. You know, I think in our careers in general, so especially in instructional design or book writing, in this case, there's always something, right? It's like, oh my god, there's always something. Was there a a moment of you know self doubt or imposter syndrome or you know a barrier where it made you sit back and go? Why me? I don't know. What am I going to do now? Where did that barrier or that feeling come from? And how did you overcome it?
1: So that barrier is, you know, the negative voice in your head it used to be constant. Around 2015, I just sort of dabbled with coach life slash business coach. I really resonated with her. And so I actually listened <laughs> as opposed was before. I told her about these voices in my head that were always just like, you're terrible. You're not good enough, and no one likes you, and just all so those things that always popping up that I have to really sort of fight through. And she said something. She says, "You know, that's not your voice, right? You I mean, it's not my voice." She goes, "That's someone else's voice that sort of merged into yours, and you think it's yours. That's not you talking." That blew my mind and made me angry because I'm like, it took me a while to figure out what combination of forces it could be. Once I figured it out, I was mad because my whole life was sort of dictated by the limitations that this voice put on me. And then over time, as that happened, the voice that the real voice started to pipe up and tell the other one to shut up. Like, that's not true. That's a lie. You know, it's a lie. So there's this constant battle in my head. Now, don't be wrong, sometimes the negative voice does help me from embarrassing myself. Just like, you know, look, I know we've had beef in the past. I'm just saying that if you do this, you <laughs> may like I'm not I'm not trying to cause any problems. I'm just saying. So every now and then you need that <laughs> negative voice kind of pops to up. Stop you from embarrassing yourself, <laughs> but for the most part that positive voice has been able to ring through, or at least offer a counter argument. Once I realized that that wasn't me coming up with that, it was just messaging that you get over and over again, then you, and sometimes you live this life of self-fulfilling prophecy that I knew that it wasn't going to happen, you know, and you know, sometimes you you get those reviews and, you know, I mean, we've all talked about this before, you get a hundred She's the greatest person that ever lived. My life now is dedicated to her and her writings. And then there's that one sniper shot. And you're just sometimes it's
0: not even that bad. You're just like, ah,
1: disappointed this one stranger who has no name. it um,
0: <laughs> <laughs> <and> really <laughs> who now lives
1: rent-free in your head. I know, exactly. And you know, so now it's just do it scared, you know. Do it whatever. scared. <gasps> yeah. That's know, a great just, line. Yeah, I, I stole it, someone else. But yeah, so it's scared. Just keep just keep doing it. I mean, I don't, there is no, no answer for it. Just keep doing it and you will embarrass yourself and you will have doubts and you will have regrets, but you also will have successes and you'll have joy. And even in those embarrassing moments, you have touched someone was like, man, she had the courage, you know, to do that. Maybe I can do it too. And, and that's really what it's become about in this stage in my career is affecting others and trying to, you know, I don't want to save other people from the journey because I think the journey makes you, you know, who you are. But if they could shorten it a little bit, you know, that would be, that would be great, you know, to get to that level faster than, you know, faster than I did. So I'm always happy to give this much um, knowledge and advice and experience because I definitely have been through a lot and have seen a lot and haven't handled it all well and but certainly did enough ruminating to know how I would handle it differently and just moving forward.
0: Right, it's it's not unlike having you know, your GPS, right. And your GPS tells you there's a dead end road over there. So you may want to travel down that road just to see what's there, but you're also aware that that road's not going to take you anywhere. Right. Yeah. So maybe that little journey, you might have some discovery in that little journey, but circling back around and getting back on the main road is what you want to do.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. You know,
0: and, and I love that. I completely agree. It's, and I think we have all felt those moments, you know, that do live rent-free in our head. And the strength and the courage of conviction that is clear from you is don't don't let that happen. You can have that counter counterbalance argument happening the voices yeah. in my head. <laughs> right? The voices in my head say. <laughs> That's right. You know? you just yes, no, it. it's like keep angel it. devil, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Sometimes I always say the angel, my angel, and devil sometimes agree. Like, just do it. <laughs> Even the devil's <laughs> like, I think you should do it. I think you should do it. I'm just tired of waiting. Let's just do it.
0: Right. You know? <laughs> so, we give up. Just do, you know, do it. it. You're not listening <laughs> to either one of us, anyway. So
1: just do it.
0: Oh my gosh, that's fabulous. Okay, and now as we come to uh, the end of our conversation, as I like to do with all of the people who come on to, you know, learning rebels live, it's, here's our moment. And if you are familiar with, and as, as your background would suggest, I'm sure you're familiar with the actor studio, right? Absolutely. With uh-huh. Loved him so much. And he used to conclude with the uh, Prowse questionnaire. So we've taken this and we've in the same format though, but different questions that are rapid fire off top of your head, Let's see. Let's get a little insight into Hadia. Are you ready? I think so. All right. Number one, right now, if we think about the world today, there are all sorts of different tools to use. Productivity tools, AI tools, e-learning development tools, tools just like Excel or PowerPoint or whatever, you know, we're surrounded by tools. So keeping that in mind right now, what is your favorite tool to use in your day-to-day?
1: PowerPoint. No shame.
0: Oh, I have waited six months for someone to say that. I am with you. Yes, okay, Okay. PowerPoint. What is your least favorite tool? Excel. Excel, okay. What is the skill that every L&D professional needs to have? Sales. What skill is overrated?
1: Probably shouldn't, but I wanna say graphic design. Oh, okay. We should All be right. paying people to, to do what they do instead of us trying to take our time as away from educators and to learn how to move dots around. Pay graphic designers to do what they do.
0: Yes. <laughs> what, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? I think we know this now. Well, if I can't be the actress, I'd say documentary filmmaker. Either one. Ooh, okay. Either one. They'd just throw it that way. Either one. What profession would you not like to do? Sales, sales, sales. <laughs> Speaking of selling, sales. <laughs> <sells. laughs> Who is your favorite superhero?
1: Wonder Woman.
0: Okay, and your least favorite superhero? Um, I'm
1: gonna say Superman. He just he thinks he's all that
0: <laughs> arrogant. I'm loving this conversation. <laughs> what makes you laugh? Um, well, I like sarcasm. I like some good sarcasm. Okay. And lastly, in a perfect world, what L&D practice would you change? I guess
1: I would like to, if we could be, I mean, I like a centralized team better than decentralized, but I, I would like to get closer to the business. I would like to get closer to the source of the story, closer I Closer to the source. Yeah, closer to the I source like about hearsay and other people's political motives telling you what needs to happen. I would like to get closer to the source of what really needs to happen.
0: I like it. All right. Well, thank you, Hadia. I appreciate you being with us today. This was a delightful conversation. Thank you so much for sharing, you know, your background and your uh, desires to be up on the stage and how that took you into your writing into instruction into tech support into instructional design into writing your book such a wonderful journey and thank you so much for sharing it with us so tell me or tell tell the listeners where can they find you well you can find me at
1: duetslearning.com where i post all the places i'm going to be appearing information about the book tools and resources um, quality management books that, that's coming out soon and all the tools i plan to have about that i hope to have a certification um, one day around that as well, because I think it's so important. And, um, yeah, I'm, you know, I, I'm on LinkedIn. You reach, reach me through here. I post on here often. I'm always looking at messages and answering them and
0: that's it. And there you go. People go out by the book story training by Hadea Nuradin. Excellent read. I highly recommend it. Thank you so much, hadia for your time. I appreciate it. You have a wonderful rest of your day and try not to eat all the leftover Halloween candy. I know. Right. <laughs> all right, everyone. Well, there you have it. The story of Hadiya Nuruddin. And once again, it shows that we never stray too far from our roots. Even though we think we do, we really don't. It's clear that Hadea's curious nature drove her to find the stage wherever she went. But what an interesting path, right? From a master's in writing to wanting to be on stage to deciding, oh, what the hell, let's just go to work at Kinko's and see what happens. It all requires a closer look at what you stand for and following the path that gives you happiness. And I love that her mind discovered that pivot, that the stage is what you make it from helping customers to writing books and everything in between. What I take from this is that we all have something in our backgrounds that helps us to forge a path. While it may not be immediately apparent, it's there. All we need to do is listen to the universe and be aware. So I hope that Hadia's path exploring what the signs are telling us and paying attention to what you stand for helps you enjoy the ride. You never know where you're going to end up. And so while you're exploring your path to trying something new, check out the Learning Rebels community where we focus on building LD capability and strengthening connections. You can find the link to the community as well as Hadea's book in the show notes below. In the meantime, Stay curious, be rebellious, and take over the world. Bye for now.
1: Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. For more content like this, or to begin your own podcasting journey, head on over to obsidian-productions.com.